If you have your Bibles, turn with us to the book of Mark. We're going to look in chapter 6. Throughout the message, we will look in verses 14 through 29, but for our reading, we'll focus on verses 14 through 16. And today, the message will be a little different than what you um, are accustomed to, I guess, from me. You know, after the few messages I've preached, you've got a... <laughs> You've got some sort of idea of what to expect week in and week out as far as style and and what you can look to. You Most of you know, well, we're going to get either two or three points today. He's going to try to illustrate them. He's going to try to apply them. Some weeks he does a decent job. Some weeks he does best he can do. <laughs> uh Today, we're going to focus on one point today. And I know some of you are thinking right now, okay, we should get out of here a little early. But, uh, we, well, you know, the Lord works in my mind mysterious ways. And so, uh, just bear with me today as we look in these verses. As you're turning to Mark's gospel in chapter 6. In his book, 70 times 7, The Freedom of Forgiveness. David Uggsberger, he tells of General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, who lost his eyesight. This encounter of him losing his sight, um, his son Bramwell was tasked with the duty to tell his father that he, he wouldn't regain his sight. So he tells him there is no recovery for what you're experiencing today. General Booth asked him, said, so are you saying I'm going to go blind? His son replies, this is what we have to contemplate now. You're going to go blind. General Booth replied, Ramwell, I'll never see your face again on this side of heaven. I have done all that I could for God and his people with my sight. Now, I must do all that I can for God without my sight. What we know is that life is a place of service. And in that service, we will have to suffer some things that are, that's hard to bear in this life. But if we trust the Lord, what we'll find is life isn't just hard. Life is, can also be filled with joy. The only way we're going to really have joy in a life that is hard is when we take our eyes off of us and place our eyes on him. When we begin to focus on him and others and not our own personal happiness, we can find that we become flooded 
with joy. So often what we want to do is tell stories that have this happily ever after ending. (laughs) By the world's standards, (laughs) that's just not going to always be the case. You don't believe that when you get to heaven, sit down with those apostles and ask them while on earth, did their life end in ease or did they end in this happy ever after mindset? What they'll tell you is their life ended with joy in their heart, but it ended in pain and suffering. In today's text, what we're going to find is that faithful service, contrary to what some of these preachers on television, some of these preachers who have massive buildings filled with people there will tell you, is that faithful service leads to suffering. We don't hear that as much today in auditoriums that are filled with thousands those too many preachers are are wanting to appease people rather than preach the truth of the gospel when we look here in today's text we begin to see some results of serving him faithfully Now understand this as clearly as you can. There's not a better life that you can live than serving the Lord. If you're here and you're lost, you may think, well, why would I want to serve him if it's going to mean suffering? Well, you keep living in this life without him and you're going to suffer too. I'd rather suffer with him than to suffer without him. The Bible tells us in verses 14 through 16, King Herod heard about it. And I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible today. King Herod heard about it because Jesus' name had become well known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. And that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he's Elijah. Still others said he's a prophet like one of the prophets from long ago. When Herod heard of it, he said, John, the one I beheaded has been raised. This is God's word. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the peace that we have in our hearts because of you. God, you told us when we committed to serving you through your son, Jesus Christ, that your peace you would give us. Thank you, God, for your peace. It's a peace the world can't give and the world can't take away. Thank you, God, for loving us and being with us this day. And if there's one that doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, speak with them today. Remind them that they can have peace and they can have joy. They can have love And they can have a hope that will carry in beyond this world. Oh, God, we thank you today. Now, you lead us, guide us, and direct us. And whatever is accomplished, we'll give you praise. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. 
This passage is unique in its writing. This narrative will flash back in time. Now, if you've never noticed this flash back in time, stick with us for just a little while and I'm sure you'll catch it. The Bible tells us here in verse 14 that King Herod heard about it because Jesus' name had become known. So we have to ask ourselves, what is it? What is it that King Herod heard about? Well, Herod had heard of the ministry of Jesus. He had heard of the ministry of the 12 apostles that he sent out. He heard of the miracles that Jesus had done as well as the miracles that the apostles had had done in Jesus' name. And this should have been enough to move Herod to faith in Jesus. The miracles couldn't be denied. But instead of exercising faith in Jesus as the Messiah, the the one that the prophets prophesied of, he began to speculate. He began to rationalize who could this man Jesus be. So he began to inquire. Someone said he's John the Baptist, raised from the dead. (laughs) They were attributing the miraculous power of Jesus to the power that, that worked through John during his preaching. Some said he was Elijah. Others said he was a prophet. They were likening the power that Jesus performed his miracles with to the power that worked through Elijah and the other prophets. You know, a couple chapters over, what we'll find is Jesus, as he's getting closer to his time being at hand, he will ask his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they will give the same answer. Some will say that, that John the Baptist, others will say Elijah, and others will, will say the prophets. The preaching and the miracles that Jesus and his followers had done, it led Herod to respond like the people of Jesus' hometown that we talked about some last week. His hometown of Nazareth, how they rejected Jesus, Herod, he rejects Jesus. He was curious, though, about the source of this supernatural power that Jesus had. We find Herod saying here that John, the one I beheaded, has been raised. It's almost as if he's pondering, could this really be a resurrected John? It seems to me that that's just what he had settled in his heart mind, that Jesus was John the Baptist raised. We've all seen and we've all heard things that we couldn't explain, haven't we? 
things that confused us, things that troubled us. The real problem is that we want to rely on our own understanding. But folks, we must weigh things that we see and weigh things that we hear against the word of God because the word of God is truth. And some will say, well, how do you know? How can you be so sure? How can you be so arrogant to say that the word of God is truth? Well, John 14 and 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. In John 1 and 1, the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In John 14, the the Bible says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then Isaiah lets us know in 40 and 8 that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. We can know that if there's truth in this world, it comes from the word of God. No matter what this world has to say, Jesus is truth. Jesus is God's word made flesh. And God's word is truth. You know, Brother Mike said earlier, in the beginning, he said, let us make man. Who is us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, God the Son was his word. And when God spoke his word, Jesus went forth and created the world. His word. And then Jesus, God's word, come to earth. And he dwelled among us. Whatever we weigh against the word of God, we can be sure the word will reveal whether it's true or false. (laughs) And if we can't wrap our feeble minds around what's true, (laughs) then we must follow Solomon's wisdom that we find in Proverbs 3 and 5. Trust trust in the Lord with all your heart and not... (laughs) And do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Oh, when we follow (laughs) these wise words, then we're going to follow the word of God. You know, as we continue here, what we find in today's text is that we can see the faithful service of John the Baptist. And what we must come to terms with is that the Lord desires faithful service to him. That's what he desires. We're so wrapped up on whether someone has done everything just right, whether they've sinned, whether they've fallen short. Well, we've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark. What we should concern ourselves is that someone is faithful, not perfect, Because we're never going to be perfect. God is concerned with our faithfulness. But you know, the truth is this. He's faithful to us whether we're faithful to him. The reason he's faithful to us is because he's faithful to his word. At this point in the narrative, Mark flashes back. He goes back to the time of the events when John the Baptist was executed. The prophet Isaiah prophesied this. He said, a voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make straight 
make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And the voice of the one that was crying out and, and prophesying this was John the Baptist. He came out with camel-like garment and, and a leather belt around his waist. He fed on locusts and wild honey and his message was that of repentance. He cried out to the people to repent of their sin and to live a life that produces fruit that's consistent with repentance. John boldly, boldly called the Pharisees and the Sadducees a brood of vipers. And he warned them to flee from the coming wrath of God. I don't know about you, but you call my father a snake. I may do to you exactly what they done to Jesus. Because Jesus called them vipers, broods of vipers. In other words, they come from snakes. They nailed him to an old rugged cross. And here John, with boldness, that's what he calls the Pharisees and the Sadducees. A brood of vipers. You know what vipers come from? Vipers. So he wasn't just calling them a bunch of snakes. He's saying, your daddy, your granddaddy, your great-granddaddy. They're snakes too. You know what we'll do? We'll get mad and we won't change a building, Brother Eugene, because granddaddy put a nail in it. You see, you look at me like I'm foolish. I know where your minds are at. Yeah, you'll want to string somebody up too. They call your daddy a snake. <laughs> uh. Here, while John had the boldness to call out Jewish religious leaders, he also had the courage and the conviction to call out the Roman political leaders as well. John publicly calls out Herod's sin. Now, Herod Antipas was married to the daughter of Aratus, king of the Nabatean Arabs. However, on a trip to Rome, it's almost as if Herod forgot he had a wife. He visited his half-brother, his half-brother Herod Philip. And while he was visiting him, he became very attracted to his brother's wife. And as a matter of fact, I don't know if he seduced her or she seduced him. What we know is she left her husband to follow her husband's half-brother. She didn't just follow him. She brought her daughter, his, his niece, with her. <laughs> Ooh, things like that doesn't happen in this world, does it? Herod's own wife discovered what was taking place and she figured there was some, some sort of plan. So she left. There, was, there had to be a plan. If Herod's bringing this woman to be his wife, he's putting his wife away and their chances of him trying to destroy her, get rid of her was great. So she left and went back to her father. Herod committed two serious sins here. He put away his own wife for no reason. And he stole the wife of his half-brother. And John didn't back up from this immorality. 
Leviticus 18 and 16 says, you are not to have sexual intercourse with your brother's wife. She is your brother's family. In Leviticus 20 and 21, it says, if a man marries his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has violated the intimacy of his brother, or intimacy that belongs to his brother, and they will be childless. Because John was faithful to proclaim this truth, the truth of God's word, Herod's wife was extremely offended. Yeah, she, <laughs> uh, she wanted John killed. But Herod knew John was a righteous man, a holy man. And he was afraid to put his hands upon him. So he protected John. By having him arrested. We remember David, don't we? King David, when he had reason to kill King Saul. When David was just a soldier in Saul's army. He had reason to to take his life. Saul had been trying to kill David for months. For no reason. And when David had the opportunity, he stopped his soldier. And said, touch not God's anointed. Here... Herod knew there was something special about John, so he wouldn't touch him. He kept him hid in a prison. You know, I'm reminded of Joseph. You remember Joseph's life. Joseph, he was sold into slavery because of jealousy, the jealousy of his brothers. He was taken to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer officer of Pharaoh's, he bought Joseph and made him his slave from the Ishmaelites. As Joseph served Potiphar, it was easy to see that the Lord was with him. And because the Lord was with him, everything that Joseph done, it prospered. Joseph was extremely successful. And so Potiphar put Joseph in charge of everything in his home. The only thing Potiphar had to give consideration to for himself was what he chose to eat. Joseph was in control of everything in his house. <laughs> Joseph is thought to have been a well-built, handsome man. All right, you dads, I just want you to know, everything tells me that the dad bods are in, so don't get offended by this. Don't get discouraged. Don't be afraid your wife's going to look somewhere else. But they say he was a well-built, handsome man. And Potiphar's wife set her sights on him. Now, Joseph was a man of character, a man of conviction, and and he wouldn't defile himself. He wouldn't defile the trust of Potiphar, nor would he defile Potiphar's wife. And this enraged her. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if she was one of those women who never heard the word no. I don't know if she was one who was used to getting her way. I don't know if she was one who had these high expectations that men would just desire her. I I, I don't know, but what I do know is she was enraged because he rejected her. Well, uh, (laughs) we were... We were working, and I probably told some of you this year, some time ago. We was working up around Clyburn Pines, and we needed to get the trucks off the highway. It's a busy highway, and 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 as we we're working there, trying to get, we got the trucks off. There was a house that sat off the road. 
probably 300 yards and 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 we had pulled on the edge of the of the yard right there by the ditch so we could get these trucks off the highway and we could work without any worry of of not having enough men available and 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 not worrying about safety hazards and there was this woman she came flying from her house she they were so far away she didn't walk or run to us she drove to us when she got out her husband started running out of the house she was in a rage I looked at one of the lead men on the crew. I said, I think we need to go. He said, I think we need to go. We packed up and we left. She was in a rage. Her husband was trying to calm her down, but we left there because she was in a rage. You know, the Bible says it's not wise to live with a contentious woman. Here, (laughs) what we know is that Potiphar's wife, she was enraged. So what Joseph done, he he fled. But she falsely accused him of rape, had him put in prison. Joseph did exactly what the Lord would have wanted him to do. (laughs) And he was put in jail for it. John the Baptist declared the truth of God's word and for his protection from an evil, enraged woman, he was put in jail for it. (laughs) But John being in prison wasn't enough for Herodias. She wanted John dead, so she waited for the right time to get her revenge. Time came when Herod decided he was going to throw himself a party. He was throwing himself a party. He wanted everyone to celebrate him. You wouldn't do that. You would expect other people to throw you a party, right? Yeah, because none of us post on Facebook, it's my birthday today. (laughs) No, we don't do that. We don't do that. No, 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 no. He throws himself a party. It was, it was considered to be a pagan ritual to the Jews. So the Jews had nothing to do with that. But he throws himself a party. He invited some important guests to this party. Herodias realized the opportune time it was for her to get her revenge. And, and she allowed her daughter, her teenage, well, it's, it's thought that she was a teenage girl to, to, entertain her intoxicated husband and his drunken guests. This would have been Herod's stepdaughter. This would also have been Herod's niece. And so here, it would be his brother's daughter entertaining these drunken men. Good common sense and decent morals would would have said, stop this girl and don't let her do this. Would you allow your brother's daughter, teenage daughter, to dance a front? No, you'd be disgusted by it. They weren't disgusted at all. They were aroused by it. They were excited by it. They enjoyed her seductive dance before them. They enjoyed it so much. Herod says, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. 
Whatever you ask, up to half my kingdom, it'll be yours. You remember hearing that? I, I remember. I remember Esther being given this same proposition. Ask up to half my kingdom. Yeah. But what she does, instead of answering him, she runs to her mother. This gives us the indication that her mother set all of this up. What kind of evil woman is going to have a teenage daughter dance in front of drunk, grown, nasty men? This mother, she asked, what should I ask for? And without hesitation, without, without any reservation at all, she says, John the Baptist's head. Without any questions, with no reservations to what her mother just said, she runs to Herod and asks for his head on a platter. Now, this had to be sobering, wouldn't you think? I I would think that immediately he sobered up because it wouldn't be hard to realize I've been set up. Yeah, (laughs) at that very moment, he had to realize what his wife had done. He had to realize he's been played. What should he have expected? He was living with a woman who was once married to his brother and left his brother for him. And here now he is, she's put him between a rock and a hard place. You know, I, I get to this part of the story and I'm thinking his brother's just cheering. You! Glad he took her. Glad he got her out of my life. Wouldn't you think that? <laughs> but she's got him in this place where now he's made this declaration in front of his guests. And if he backs up, he's going to lose face with these important people. Dr. Danny Aiken said, Herod feared displeasing his wife and losing face with man more than he feared God. What does he do? He immediately has his executioner take the head of John the Baptist. They bring his head on a platter He gives it to his niece, who in turn gives it to her mother. This couple, Herod and Herodias, they remind us of another couple in the Old Testament. What about Ahab and Jezebel? You know, in 1 Kings 21, 25 says, still there is no one like Ahab who devoted himself to do what was evil in the Lord's sight because his wife, Jezebel, incited him. Here Herod is thinking back to when he had John the Baptist beheaded. So the question has to be for us today, how does this apply to us? You know, I I can't say that in our lifetime, that living in this country that we live in today, 
that we're going to face a prison sentence for sharing the truth of the gospel. It may come to that, but I just can't say that it will. And it's even less likely that living here in the United States, that we're going to be killed for declaring the truth of the gospel. But what I can say with confidence is that if we courageously and with conviction declare the gospel, if we proclaim the truth of the gospel, we're going to discover that we have enemies. The truth of the gospel will produce religious enemies. The truth is Jesus left the portals of glory, came to this sin-cursed world. He lived a sinless life. The truth is that he gave his life as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. His finished work on the cross was sufficient sufficient for salvation but not only did he die on a cross he was buried and on the third day he rose from the grave victorious conquering death hell and the grave so we we have confidence that that life doesn't end with the grave but eternal life has been given to those who trust Jesus Christ this truth it drives religions to hate us men desire a belief system that provides access for man to aid in his own salvation. But the gospel says that Jesus paid it all. And our only part is that we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe with our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. The truth is, the gospel will produce political enemies. Oh, if you don't believe that, you've forgotten 2020, haven't you? It's as close to a civil war as we've had in, in a long time because of politics. Politics. The gospel will produce political enemies for the church. Listen, we get upset because, well, he voted Democrat. He's not getting in my pulpit. He voted Republican. I don't want to listen to nothing he has to say. It don't matter who they vote for. We had to focus our attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. the, the, The Republicans, the Democrats don't have nothing to do with our salvation. They have nothing to do with our eternal security. They have nothing to do with heaven. What does have something to do with that? It's Jesus Christ. And when we focus on him, we don't have to worry about the politics. Nobody, nobody wants everything to be legislated. But that was the argument. Politicians want the world to be legislated by rules and the laws of men. And by what is right in the eyes of whoever is in position during that time. What they want to do is generate a legacy for themselves. They want power, popularity, and prestige. So they placate the ungodly men and women instead of seeking to lead by the word of God. I, I guess it's just too simple to, for politicians to live their lives and, and, to, and to do their jobs by loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving your neighbor as you love yourselves. That's just too easy. And because of that, we find if we stand on the truth of God's word, we'll have enemies in the political world. But you know, the truth of the gospel, it doesn't just produce enemies in the religious sector and enemies in the political sector. It also produces enemies in the church. 
Uh, you've gotten quiet on me. Nobody wants to be confronted for their sin. Church discipline seems to be a thing of the past. Because of fear of what family will get mad and leave the church or how many families will get mad and leave the church. What churches often fail to recognize is that the community knows what's going on. The community knows. (laughs) If you don't believe this community don't know what went on in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, As a matter of fact, this community knows what went on last month. They know everything that's going on all around us. You know how I know that? Because I got word this week by several people that have nothing to do with this church about the lie of how much money I make. Yeah. So the community knows what's going on. And we think we can hide things. We can't hide things, but here's the thing that we need to understand. That because the community knows, when we stand on the truth of the gospel, the testimony of the church grows in the community. (laughs) The church becomes trusted within the community. But until we confront sin within the church, it never happens. People speak ill of the church in the community. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 and 16, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. <laughs> Folks, church discipline has been taken so far out of context. We think we want to get rid of people, and I assure you, I'm going to assure you, any Baptist church that says, well, we're going to exercise discipline to get rid of somebody, they have no idea of what the Scripture is teaching on church discipline. Church discipline is for restoration. It's for bringing people together. It's for, it's for reconciling. You know why we discipline our children? To reconcile them because they've broken out. They've broken away from what we brought them up to believe and understand. We discipline them. We don't punish them. We don't punish each other. We discipline our children. If you're going to punish your children, you need to be in jail somewhere. But if you're disciplining your children, you're right. And the Bible says you don't love your child if you fail to discipline. I'm coming to a close. I'm coming to a close. If I don't, I'm going to start ranting, and I don't want to rant. (laughs) Let's stick to this. John the Baptist was declared by Jesus to be the last and the greatest of the prophets. Matthew 11, 11 says, Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Get this, folks. John died in his early 30s. How do I know this? Well, he died before Jesus, and he was only a few months older than Jesus. There is no record in Scripture of him performing a miracle. 
His public ministry lasted about a year, maybe a year and a half. But Jesus said there was none born of a woman greater. John had a faithful ministry. His service to the Lord was of faithfulness. He, God desires us to be faithful in our service to him, no matter what our circumstances are. So as they come to sing the song of invitation, let me ask, while every head's bowed, every eye's closed, do you have peace in your life today? Do you have the peace of knowing that you are faithfully serving the Lord? If you're faithfully serving the Lord, he will give you peace no matter your circumstance. If you have no peace in your heart and in your life right now, if you begin serving the Lord, if you will surrender your life to Him today, He will give you peace that surpasses all understanding. Listen, I I shared this message from a chaotic situation in Scripture. We've tried to apply it to show just how chaotic this life can be. But if we'll serve Jesus, we can have peace even in the chaos.